Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. I suppose you could say that suffering is the catalyst to knowing Christ and the power of His resurrection. I think we are troubled by passages of Scripture that remind us that the Savior was well acquainted with sorrow and grief and suffering. We don't like to hear this. Let's be honest. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Philippians. Many of us have a tendency to lean more towards the kind, loving, gracious characteristics of Jesus rather than the reality that he suffered greatly on our behalf. As Pastor J.D. will teach you in his message today, no matter how uncomfortable it might make us, our suffering is one of the most effective ways in which we grow in our relationship with Christ. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Philippians chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Purpose of Suffering. Philippians chapter 3. We got to verse 9 last week. Today, our text will be verses 10 and 11. What I'll have you do if you're able. If not, that's all right, but you can stand and follow along as I read. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is writing to the church there in Philippi, and he says, verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so, verse 11, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So we're going to do something we haven't done since we were in our study through the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which is to do a two-part series on two verses over two weeks. (laughs) Two, two, two. Here's why. We're going to deal with the matter of suffering. And we're going to do so as it relates to God's purpose in allowing suffering into the life of a Christian. Before we jump into this, I just need to be very open with you, very candid with you. I hope you don't mind. I hope it doesn't make anybody feel uncomfortable when I am transparent, but I really have to confess that the text before us is one for which I personally struggle with in my own walk with the Lord. And I'll do my best to explain why as simply as I can. But if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, you have no problem with the first part of our text today. I mean, who among us does not want to participate in the power of His resurrection? Sign me up. 
Where do I sign? Amen. Preach it, brother. I'm not done yet. (laughs) Are you sure you want me to keep preaching it, brother? Because the problem is that it comes packaged with the participating in the sufferings of Christ. Oh, that's the fine print, if you will. Not a popular topic talked about in many a pulpit today. Would you agree? I mean, I, I would venture to say that there's probably not many of us, if any of us, that has this text as a life verse. (laughs) You know, when you sign a card or you sign a letter and you always put, you know, your life verse, you know, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, This isn't something that, you know, I want to participate in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. What's the matter with you? Here's the problem. You can't have the one without the other. And it's the very suffering and struggling that produces the strength and the power. I was thinking about this this last week in preparation for this teaching today. And it struck me where Really, James and the Apostle Paul and even others basically say this. The very thing that we need in order to get through the trials that we go through can only be found by going through the trials we go through. Can I say the same thing in a different way? I need endurance to endure. I need perseverance to get through that which I am going through. How am I going to get it? Oh, by going through it. The very endurance and perseverance that I need in order to get through the trial that I'm in comes by way of the trial that I'm in. And that's what Paul is saying today. In other words, we must participate in his sufferings if we're to also participate in his power. That's just the way it works. The Apostle Peter echoes this in his first epistle, the fourth chapter. I'll read verses 12 and 13. He says, Dear friends, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Kind of reminds me of what James says. Consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Peter's saying the same thing. Paul's saying the same thing. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. That's how it works. 
That's how it comes. This is yet another paradox of our Christian faith in the sense that the way up is the way down. And the way of Christ's resurrection power is the way of Christ's crucifixion suffering. I suppose you could say that suffering is the catalyst to knowing Christ and the power of His resurrection. I think we are troubled by passages of Scripture that remind us that the Savior was well acquainted with sorrow and grief and suffering. We don't like to hear this. Let's be honest. I mean, I have to be honest and say that I would much rather teach a very different passage of Scripture today than one on suffering. There's another problem that we need to address. Hang in there with me. I, I know this is your suffering on this, uh, <laughs> in this sermon on suffering. It's, but I want to address the why of suffering. It's interesting to note that the Apostle Paul in the next verse, in verse 12, says that even he had not obtained this, all the answers as it were, which is why he says he presses on to take hold of it. I would suggest that while we may not this side of heaven understand the why of suffering, we can understand the purpose of it. And I'll take it a step further and suggest that it's in this not understanding of the why of suffering that we're propelled to understand the purpose of the suffering. For those of you who were with us when on Thursday nights in our study through the Old Testament, we were in the book of Job. You want to talk about suffering through a Bible study on suffering. <laughs> it was actually a very fascinating study, the study through the book of Job. But Oswald Chambers said it best in his commentary on that book of Job. He titled it, interestingly, Baffled to Fight Better. Listen to what he says. He says, It is in such a book of Job that many suffering souls will find consolation and sustaining, and this because, listen, no attempt is made to explain the why of suffering. You know that throughout all of it, I'm, I'm not quoting, bear with me, that through all of it, Job never got his questions answered. Even when finally God busts into the scene and speaks, he doesn't answer any of the questions. He actually has some questions of his own. Chambers continues, The problem in connection with suffering 
arises from the fact that there is seemingly no explanation of it. There are things in our Heavenly Father's dealings with us which have no immediate explanation. There are inexplicable providences which test us to the limit and prove that rationalism is mere mental pose. The Bible and our common sense agree that the basis of human life is tragic, not rational. And the whole problem is focused for us in the book of Job. In other words, we don't have the wise, and this side of heaven we will not have the wise, but we do have the purpose. What does God bring about? What does God accomplish in our lives through suffering? Why is it necessary that we go through those times in our lives of great pain and great suffering? Well, today I want to share two reasons. And the first is that it brings us to the end of ourselves. To me, this is one of the main purposes of suffering in the life of a Christian. It's sort of where it needs to start. It has to start by bringing us to the end of ourselves because it's only when I'm at the end of myself that I'll come to the cross and with it the much-needed death to self. And everything in me fights against that. I don't want to die to myself. I don't want to come to the end of myself, but I must. If I ever hope to know, as Paul says, the power of Christ's resurrection, it'll never precede the suffering of Christ's crucifixion. We want resurrection power, but the resurrection cannot happen, and neither with it the power until first there's a crucifixion. And that can be painful. And when God gets us there, and He'll get us there, (laughs) for some of us it takes longer than others, You know who you are, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) I'm one of those. You know, sometimes in our own strength, God has to bring us to that place of weakness. And when He does, He's got us right where He wants us, and it's the best place for us. Because now, He can do 
what he has planned to do in and through our lives. And this brings us to the second purpose that I want to talk about today and spend the rest of our time on today. Suffering brings about this humble dependence upon the Lord. One of the lessons that God is teaching me in my own life, and it's a hard lesson, is that He cannot trust me with power, absent humility. Replete throughout the pages of Holy Writ, we have example after example, and Paul is one of the best examples of how that all he suffered, and he suffered. Are you kidding me? how all that he suffered produced this humble dependence upon the Lord like nothing else could. Second Corinthians. In fact, you know, if I could trouble you to maybe turn there and follow along with me as I read chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. The Apostle Paul has just got done telling them that in the third person about this man, him, who was caught up to the third heaven and shown things that are indescribable. It would virtually be criminal to try to even articulate it or communicate it. He could not. It was impossible for him to describe what he had seen in this glory that awaits. And it was because of this that Paul was keenly aware of his propensity to boast in this, which is why he says this, verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool. In other words, it would not be foolish of me to do so. Why? Because I would be speaking the truth. But I'm not going to do that. I refrain, and the reason I refrain is so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or, verse 7, because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being becoming conceited, maybe better said, in order to keep me humble so that I do not get puffed up and proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. By the way, by design, we don't know what that thorn is. And yes, speculation abounds. And I think we do err greatly when we try to define what it is. I believe God withheld that from us 
because he knows that we're all too ready to say, oh, well, if that was the thorn in the flesh, I don't struggle with that, so this does not apply to me. You might say that God deemed it fit to keep it open-ended by way of application to our own lives. So Paul says he was given this thorn in his flesh, and he says it was a messenger of Satan. And apparently, it was to torment him. The implication being that he was tormented day and night by whatever it was. You fill in the blank with your own life. He was tortured. He was tormented. He suffered greatly. And God allowed it. Verse 8, he says, Three times. Now this doesn't necessarily mean, and commentators suggest that this was sort of a figure of speech. It's not like he prayed three times and then didn't pray a fourth time. No, it's more like he prayed continually time and time again. Very specifically, he pleaded three times with the Lord to take it away from him. But, verse 9, What was the Lord's response? He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take this from you. My grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because my, here's that word, power, power, is made perfect in weakness. What? Let me see if I got this straight. Are you telling me that God needed to keep the Apostle Paul, who he had just shown the glory of heaven that awaits to, to keep him down, tormented, buffeted, if you will, by this thorn in his flesh, as it were, because he wanted Paul to know that his power, his power is made perfect in weakness. Yes. There's a lot to learn from this joyful New Testament book, Philippians. And we're so glad you've joined us to walk through it all with Pastor J.D. Farag on In Spirit and Truth. Philippians isn't just about the Apostle Paul's rejoicing, though. There are many references to this emotion. This book is also honest about the difficulties that followers of Christ will face. People will oppose the truth of the gospel and you may face persecution from non-believers. But you can rest assured that Jesus knows, and He sees, and He can change lives anyway. You can be glad and rejoice in the Lord just as Paul did. If you'd like to listen to more Pastor J.D.'s teachings on this book, you'll find them on our website, 
Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen. You can even take these messages with you on the go with our mobile app. Find a link to our app on our website or search for In Spirit and Truth in your app store. This will provide you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and access to the latest editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new each weekend and will help you put world events into an eternal perspective. You can access these updates through our website. Again, that address is in spiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to God's Word today and join us next time right here on In Spirit and Truth. truth, truth.